0: There are no borders with Bitcoin, and from the beginning, its disruption has been global. Tune in to Borderless, as CoinDesk reporters Anna Badikova, Danny Nelson and Tanzil Akhtar dissect their top most recent Bitcoin and cryptocurrency stories from around the world. This episode is brought to you by the CoinDesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder that CoinDesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
1: Welcome to Borderless, I'm Anna Bajdakova and I'm Tanzi Lakta. And our third host Danny Nelson is off today, but we are joined by Nick Day, our regulatory reporter who will help us make sense of Joe Biden's picks for the new heads of the US Treasury and the Securities and Exchange Commission. And today we're talking about this new administration coming to regulate your crypto about how Mt. Gox and Quadriga CX users are still trying to get their money back and Ripple's adventures with the regulators of the world. So let's start
0: from Joe Biden's new team, probably, Tenzil. Thanks, Anna. So yeah, it's been a huge week for the US. Donald Trump is no longer the president and Joe Biden has taken over. And what's interesting is that he has named Gary Gensler as his pick for chairman of the US Securities Exchange Commission. So apparently this is really good news for the crypto community. It's been taken as a positive. And another notable appointment is that Rohit Chopra is as the director of Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, has also been appointed as part of Biden's transition team. So what's interesting about Chopra is that he has publicly criticized Libra which is the Facebook led cryptocurrency project that's since been renamed DM so both of these appointments are quite notable you know Gensler could be a positive for the uh, crypto community he has a great history you know he's been on Wall Street for ages he's had a stint in teaching about crypto and blockchain at MIT i think that was in 2018 so the big question is is Gensler's appointment positive news for the crypto community Nick, what, what are your thoughts?
2: Hey, y'all. Yeah, Gensler's an interesting choice. It's probably positive in the sense that he's, of course, on crypto at MIT. He really understands the space. He's testified on Libra before Congress before. So whatever else, he's coming into the SEC with an understanding of what he's looking at with regard to the crypto space. Whether that's good for the industry remains to be seen. But we'll definitely have some kind of clarity, I imagine entirely possible he'll regulate it and he'll regulate it in such a way that the industry will not be happy. You know, for example, he's made it clear he believes that certain tokens are clearly securities under federal
0: law. And there's also a lot of hype that, you know, Gensler will approve a Bitcoin ETF. So anybody who's been watching this space for years will know that the SEC has rejected numerous applications from Vanek to the Winklevoss twins. I think Bitwise Asset Management also had an application. So I think there's a lot of hype that his appointment this year will see an approval of a Bitcoin ETF, which will be a game changer for the sector. What, what are your thoughts? Do you think that's going to happen? Or
2: Yeah, there's a lot of anticipation that he will oversee the approval of a Bitcoin ETF. So going back to 2018, Bitcoin ETFs were all rage. People were really filing a lot of applications for them. And none of them were approved for various reasons, including concerns about market size and you know whether or not it was easy to manipulate. But Gensler's former CFTC colleague, Jeffrey Vanman, wrote in a not bad for CoinDesk last week that he does believe an ETF will be approved. Many online also seem to agree with that assumption. My guess is probably a combination of Gensler's comfort with the space as well as the market's growth over the last couple of years. But yeah, the signs seem to be pointing towards
1: yes. But do you think that Gensler's approach will be significantly different from Quayton's?
2: It would look that way so far. I mean, we haven't really heard from Gensler yet. We haven't seen anything of what he wants to or intends to do. And what we do know for sure is that he's a very, you know, pro-regulatory type. He oversaw the CFTC in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. He did a lot of work around regulating derivatives products. So it's very possible he will institute a, you know, very pro-regulatory structure at the SEC as far as crypto goes. But, you know, at the very least, his comfort level at the outset should be higher. You know, Jay Clayton was looking at a fairly new, fairly young crypto space. and, And I haven't seen anything to suggest he'd had extensive knowledge of crypto prior to taking the role at the SEC. But Gensler does not have that kind of, lack of uh, background, he's been steeped in this for years.
1: By the way, you all should know that Nick has been closely following every big and small move in the US politics regarding crypto. And he's now doing a weekly newsletter named State of Crypto, Digital Currency in the Biden Era. So subscribe to that if you don't want to miss anything important in that space. Coming back to the new Biden speaks, Uh, What about Janet Yellen though? She made some harsh remarks about crypto being used for illicit activities recently and Crypto Twitter was so, so unhappy about that. And it it looks like even the Bitcoin price reacted. What do you think, Nick?
2: Yeah, so I don't think we can really extrapolate a lot from what Yellen said. So the comments she made was uh, during the Senate Finance Committee's hearing about her nomination. Basically, she was answering questions about how she was going to approach her job uh, in front of, you know, a dozen senators or so. So given the context of where she was, she was testifying before a Senate committee that just two weeks earlier had been evacuated from the chamber because an unruly mob was storming into the Capitol building. And some of those people who are in that mob are currently being investigated and arrested by the FBI. And the FBI is also looking at whether or not a French computer programmer sent them half a million dollars in Bitcoin prior to that mob. You know, just given all of that context, I don't really see, you know, how she could have made a different response. You know, it's very possible she could have just said, uh, you know, I'm aware of this and I'm looking at it, but I don't have any conclusion. But, you know, realistically, I don't think she could have made much of a different response. Bigger question is what she'll do when she actually takes office and how well she's been following the space for the last couple of years. Because, you know, as we previously reported, like she hasn't mentioned Bitcoin at all for the crypto space at all since 2018 prior to this week. So it's entirely possible she just hasn't been following along. She got the question. She gave a response given, you know, the immediate context of what she knew and what she had and where she was. It remains to be seen what will actually happen.
0: Despite Yellen saying that crypto is being used for money laundering and terrorism, blockchain investigation firm Chain Analysis said that crypto-related crime actually fell significantly in 2020. So we're hearing the opposite through research firms. Crime is falling related to crypto, which is great news for the sector, I think.
1: Right, but according to that same port analysis, crypto scams are down. Like, we didn't have any new PLUS token in 2020, surprisingly. The dark market activity is actually up, if I'm not mistaken, and the ransomware activity is also up. So, it's like the crypto illegal activities are down, but maybe not so much.
2: Yeah, I think you have to look at it in comparison to just overall what's going on. My understanding is that crypto-specific crimes, you know, they're not very popular yet. People are doing it. You know, they're using crypto and ransomware. They're using it in you know dark market transactions, but it's still not a huge part of this illicit underground uh, financial transaction world. So, SWIFT actually published a report last September, even saying that, which is kind of surprising because SWIFT is you know, uh, they're a pretty major traditional financial. payment uh, services firm, and the crypto space is, you know, bent on knocking it out of its role and replacing it. So for Swift to even come out and say, yeah, well, this is not big, a you know, it's not a huge deal. You know, I think that's also really, you know, even more to chain analysis, kind of just validation of that idea that crypto crime isn't a huge deal.
1: I wonder what you're going to be looking for, Nick, in the coming months. What should we expect from these new regulators coming in?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple big things to be watching out for. Number one will be who gets tapped to lead the agencies. So we've already talked about Gensler, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is the federal banking regulator in the U.S., and which under former acting controller Brian Brooks implemented or uh, published a number of guidance letters and pieces of information that the crypto space deemed really friendly. We're looking at potentially Michael Barr, who is currently dean of public policy at the University of Michigan and in the past served as a official at the US Treasury Department and an advisor to Ripple or he was on Ripple's board of advisors. So like Gensler, we're seeing someone who is familiar with the crypto space who has been, you know, involved in it in some degree. And I don't know again there's no guarantee that this means that what he'll do is going to be friendly to so the crypto space. For all we know, he might have you know, spent a couple of months or years on Ripple's board of advisors and come away thinking, wow, I do not like crypto. But the fact remains that he does have this experience, this background knowledge that previous regulators may not have had or that his predecessors may not have had. So I imagine we'll see clarity, if nothing else. You know, I think we'll see a consistent regulatory uh, framework under his auspices that even if it's not like the friendliest towards the crypto space, at least it'll be informed. The CFTC is another big agency under former chairman, Chris Giancarlo and Heath Tarbert. They've done a lot of stuff that's been friendly to crypto space. They brought in Bitcoin futures and Ether futures made, you know, it's really helped the space grow a lot. I haven't seen anything that suggests who the new chairman might be under Biden, but that'll be one to watch out for. As far as the FinCEN rules go, you know, FinCEN's is currently evaluating a number of rules about whether or not record counterparty information for unhosted wallet transactions, whether or not they need to report transactions or collect data on transactions over $250 that are offshore, Uh, just a number of rules that are being considered by FinCEN. That's where Yellen might have more of an impact is these rules that are currently out there and that FinCEN is evaluating them. There was recently a common tension, the most controversial rule being the counterparty uh, data reporting one. Those comments are ongoing. People uh, in the industry can provide feedback and say, you know, we think this is a bad idea, or we think this is a good idea, or here's how we think we can improve this. My guess is, like, that'll be the biggest thing Yellen will have an impact on. Because, you know, That was a really controversial rule that was being rushed out by former Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. The industry really gathered together and filed, like, 7,000 comments in 15 days, which is a lot to go through. I have no idea where that'll end, but probably, like, the most interesting aspect of what FinCEN is doing there is they kind of bifurcated the rule uh, when they extended the comment period. They put one part that's kind of, you know, a currency transaction report aspect. That's in line with traditional fiat uh, reporting requirements. That's got another 15 days, meaning that's very going to be fast. That'll probably happen. But the controversial part is getting like another 45 days. So that's the part that it kind of says FinCEN doesn't, you know, they're not sure about this. They're not wild about it. They want more feedback, and it's anyone's guess what will happen.
1: Okay, so we also have some fresh news on the Quadriga CX and its users getting their money back, presumably, maybe, probably. Nick, you have been following this story from the very beginning. Can you get us up to speed with what's going on? And is there a real hope for Quadriga CX users to get their money back still?
2: Yeah, so this is getting complicated. QuadrigaCX users are probably getting back pennies on the dollar if and when they kept their funds back. But first, there's still the whole legal process of recovering funds and unwinding the company that has to be followed. The most recent update by Ernst Young, which is the court-appointed bankruptcy trustee for Quadriga, said that they're looking at two potential dates for evaluating the cryptocurrency. Basically, they want to know or what date they should pick for how much the cryptos they have are worth. And they're looking at either a date in February 2019, when Quadriga first collapsed and entered a civil rehabilitation process uh, in Nova Scotia, Canada, or they're looking at an April 2019 date when it went into bankruptcy. So the difference is basically, if they go with the February date, users who held more cash than crypto will receive more back. Whereas if they go with the April date, users who held more crypto than cash will see more back.
1: Why Now these ones,
2: basically because of crypto's volatility, the price increased between February and April, and the way they're planning on dispersing it, it's not just going to be, you know, they'll convert everything into fiat and then distribute based on what people have in claims. Again, this is where it gets kind of weirdly complicated yeah so that's what they are looking at right now they're going to go to court and discuss it on january 26th
1: why do you think it's taking so long actually the story is like more than a year old right like it just like from the outside it looks like it's taking extremely long for every new step for every new decision or petition or whatever happens in this process
2: yeah so honestly this isn't even taking that long so far you know we're Gosh, two years into this, but if you look at comparable exchange collapses like Mount Cox, you know that's been going on for I think almost six or seven years now. So it's the legal process; it takes time to unwind companies and dissolve things and make sure they figure out where all the funds are and you know they know who they have to send funds back to. Quadriga in particular, I don't know if this has been discussed recently, but they're also. Uh, currently being audited by the Canada Revenue Agency, which is convinced that Quadriga did not pay taxes during you know, the time it was around. So that'll be a complicating factor. Ernst & Young can't distribute funds until the CRA finishes their review. No one knows when that would happen.
1: So, so the Quadriga crash happened in 2018, right? When the CEO was reportedly dead.
2: Yeah, so Gerald Cotton's is founder and CEO. He reportedly died in December 2018, And his debt was announced in January 2019. And yeah, so that's when things basically kicked off.
1: It's actually funny that Quadriga CX situation, which happened in 2018, was not very different from the Mt. Gox situation, which happened years before that. Um, But in both cases, like there was a single point of failure. One person was holding all the keys then these wallets just were lost. We've seen a bunch of exchanges failing over time, but I don't remember anything that failed so spectacularly recently as Quadriga and just, you know, have this crazy situation when there is a single laptop with all the crypto on it and nobody can get it.
2: It remains to be seen what we learned from that
1: Probably we're going to learn don't keep all your crypto on a single hardware piece and just don't manage your exchange this way. On other topics, and also some regulatory stuff, Ripple has been grappling with a bunch of trouble since the SEC sued it. In December, the Securities and Exchange Commission believes Ripple has been selling unregistered securities Uh, it's XRP tokens. And the court case is still in progress. Nothing has been decided yet. But soon after the lawsuit hit the news, Ripple got hit with an avalanche of bad news, Uh, a bunch of exchanges and brokers worldwide suspended XRP trading. This includes Coinbase, Kraken, OKCoin, Bitstamp, eToro, Crypto.com, Genesis, and others. But it looks like Asian market likes Ripple much more and the Asian regulators too, because Japan's uh, securities regulator reportedly recently told the block that XRP does not qualify as a security under the Japanese laws. The SEC believes XRP is a security and Japan's securities regulator doesn't. Also, there has been a little rally for XRP and people believe that Asian investors were quite enthusiastic buying it when the price dipped after the SEC lawsuit so i wonder if this looks like a good turn like the kind of a opportunity or hope for Ripple in Asia like will it help Ripple back in the US what do you think nick
2: i don't see how Japan classifying, you know, XRP as not a security or even the UK saying it's not a security really impacts the U.S. SEC's case. I mean, this is kind of like where the whole, it's where it gets weird, right? You know, we have have this idea of crypto as like this borderless thing that you don't need to be restricted to a single country. It's not, it's stateless, but laws still exist. And, you know, each country is going to enforce its own laws, its own ways. So according to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Ripple's uh, sales of XRP over the last seven years qualify as securities transactions. You know, that shouldn't impact how Japan or the UK or anyone else sees XRP, but also how Japan and the UK and all those other countries see XRP probably won't impact how the SEC pursues this case, even with Gensler coming on board.
1: Well, how the SEC sees XRP might actually impact how other regulators of the world see XRP because... Oftentimes, other countries look at, at what U.S. is doing, doing something similar, which might be not the case this time. But another interesting thing is that Ripple has been very vocally upset with what's going on in the U.S. regarding the regulations. And it's being hinting that it might move its headquarters out of the U.S., say, to London or to the Middle East or wherever. Then it said that, uh, well, maybe it, it's going to wait for the new Biden administration to come and hopefully some more regulatory clarity will be there for them. But so now we see the new Biden administration come in. We see Gary Gensler will probably be the new head of the SEC. And what does Gary Gensler think about XRP, if anything, do we know?
2: Yeah, so this was a fine by Danny Nelson. May he recover quickly. Thank you, Danny. During a lecture at MIT, uh, Gensler said that, quote, yes, I do think XRP is a non-compliant security, but this will not be resolved just by the Securities and Exchange Commission. It will be resolved by some courts, whether it's appellate Courts or the Supreme Court. In Gensler's view, XRP is a security, and that's probably not great news for Ripple. Like you said, they were showing signs of enthusiasm following Biden's win. And, you know, uh, CEO Brad Garlinghouse has expressed hope on Twitter that, you know, the new administration will work with Ripple and be quote unquote friendlier. If Gensler's views hold, then that may not work out.
1: Well, I guess that's all for today. Thank you everyone for listening. Please subscribe to Coindesk podcasts, especially for the Coindesk report feed which includes Borderless. And let us know if you enjoyed the show. You've been listening to Borderless. I'm Anna Baidakova And I'm Tanzi Laktar. I'm
0: McTain.
1: See you next week.
0: You've been listening to Borderless, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. By subscribing to one feed with your favorite player, you'll get free access to all the shows from the editorial team at Coindesk, each focused on a particular niche perspective or ongoing discussion within the world of cryptocurrency. This episode featured Anna Badakova, Tanzil Akhtar, and Nick Day, with an announcement by Lila Ledesma. Today's show is produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau, with music by Cody Martin. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com.